0: Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to John chapter 3, and we'll start reading verse 16 this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles in the, in the rack in front of you, it'll be page 888. 888. As I said earlier, this is arguably the most famous passage in all of Scripture. Um, Usually when passages are translated into different languages, this is one of the first verses that is translated. The Gospel of John is often the first book that's translated into a new language. But this is one of those verses where it captures the essence of the grand narrative of Scripture. And so I thought it fitting for us as we celebrate the fourth Sunday of Advent today, um, a week late, but as we celebrate this fourth Sunday of Advent, the theme being love, I thought it'd be fitting to draw our attention to this text of Scripture here. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. To many, Christian, or Christmas excuse me, is about presents and gifts. And giving gifts isn't bad, and probably this last week, most of us, if not all of us, enjoyed some type of gift-giving back and forth. And, and that's not a bad thing, like I said. Uh, Gift-giving can show generosity and selflessness and love and compassion and a whole host of other positive things. And we do it because the wise men, they came to Jesus and they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so it seems fitting around the celebration of the birth of Jesus that there is some gift-giving that is going on in celebration of that. Some people lament the, the commercialization of Christmas, and, and I do too, to a degree, but I don't think the fact of gift-giving is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think it can be a very good thing. But sometimes we do have a misconception of what Christmas is about, and in thinking of our gifts, in the, in the gifts that we give, we can somehow get mis, uh, uh, misaligned priorities, A friend of mine posted on Facebook on Christmas Day, and I thought it was funny. He put this on his Facebook post. He said, another Christmas, another year without a Lexus and a bow. I'm starting to think Santa might be a ruse. Okay. Um, My wife and I laugh because we see those commercials about, you know, giving of a Lexus with a nice big red bow on top. I'm thinking, who does that? (laughs) You know. I want to get on their Christmas card list for next year. I mean, who, who does that? Merry Christmas, here's Alexis, you know. But um, that's not what Christmas is about. The famous movie, A Christmas Story, which either you love it or you hate it, um, captures a scene that is often played out in many homes on Christmas morning. The main character, he wants a BB gun, of course, but one of the gifts that he opens is bunny pajamas. He's forced to put on the pajamas, much to his humiliation, I remember when I would go to Christmas uh, at my grandparents' house, we, we would typically, when I was a boy, we would celebrate as our individual family, uh, Christmas Eve, we would celebrate our, our gifts. And then Christmas morning, we would get up and go to my grandparents' house that just lived uh, around the corner from us. And I remember every year, without fail, both my mom and my dad would say, now you be thankful for whatever you get, okay? Okay? <laughs> I think they thought that bunny pajamas would be given at some point or something like that because there's usually some type of gift that's given that is uh, more on the practical side rather than on the wish list side of it. The fact of the matter is that many, many kids woke up on Christmas Day, probably and opened up a gift and received something different than what they had wanted. Instead of getting an iPad, they got a pen and notebook. You know, the paper kind, you remember those? <laughs> Um, instead of a cell phone, they got a book. And for some, they got underwear instead of a new car. Um, there, was a, there was a video going around on the Internet by a Canadian airline company who did this uh, this special thing where they, they had a, a, a camera set up in the terminal, and uh, there was a video thing. You were supposed to scan your boarding pass, and, and a little Santa would come on to the, the screen and say, what do you want for Christmas? And, and it was a real live person in the back, and uh who was reading the information and so they were having this dialogue and so people would say oh I want a you know new tv or I want you know a a, a tablet or I want a uh, uh, one guy says I want socks and underwear well they got they, they they did the flight and so what they were doing is they sent people at the destination to buy all these gifts and so at baggage claim all these gifts come out and uh, maybe you've seen the video and there there was a ton of gifts given and it was just kind of this this magical moment if you will uh, of all these kids and all these people giving uh, getting the gifts that they'd asked for now um, one guy is he asked for socks and underwear and when he opened up his gifts it was socks and underwear Uh, another guy he asked for a big screen tv and when he got there he got a big screen tv Now, I've had several people I've talked to about this story, and without fail, in the conversation always, someone always said, and I confess that I thought the same thing too, but boy, the guy who asked for socks and underwear, he's bumming, okay? (laughs) You know, he should have asked for something bigger, he should have asked for something more. But isn't that indicative of our ungratefulness and short-sightedness? And so the title of the sermon today is, you know, Why God Gives Us Boxers and Not Boxers for Christmas. Now, what's a Boxster? Maybe you don't know. Boxster is is an expensive car made by Porsche, or Porsche, depending on which tax bracket you belong to. So, so God does it in this text here. He gives us exactly what we need, okay? Not exactly what we would wish for, because in our depravity, we would wish for something that would not satisfy us. In our depravity, we would want something that would be short-sighted. In our sinfulness, in our weakness, we would ask for something that would fail us. But God does not do that. He gives us exactly what He needs. Now, this is not to say what we what we need. This is not to say that God He never gives us extras or the desires of our heart, because He does do that at times. But God's ultimate gift was something that we were too depraved to ask for, but it was something we desperately needed. What we think is best for us is often not what really is best for us, and God gives us the best for us, and we can be certain of that fact, and we see this in this text here. So this morning, we're going to look at two points. We'll spend more time in the first point than in the second point. We're going to look at God's gifts and how they are related to Him and His plan. So number one, if you're taking notes, God's gift is directly related to His love. God's gift is directly related to His love. And we're talking about this gift here in John chapter 3, and verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You need to understand here that there's no compulsion. There's, no, there's nothing that forced God to do this. When we consider this text, we need to understand that this was something that had started from God. There was no debate in heaven and between God and Jesus and saying, well, I suppose we should do something about this. From before the foundations of the earth, this was God's plan that God would give. And it's because of who he is. His nature is love. This is not a, like a, a, a decision made in a hostage situation where it's under duress and that he had to give his son because there was great duress that he was under and that he was forced to do this. No, this was a decision, this gift that he gave to the world that he planned on before the foundations of the earth. You need to understand this. It is directly related to his love and nothing else. It's not not because he was forced to. It's not because there was no other option. It wasn't because he was backed into a corner and he was trying to decide how to make lemonade out of lemons. This is not what was going on here. It is because of his nature. There are only a few things, a few attributes of God that are actually told that that is who he is. And love is one of those. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, God is love. And so this gift that we see here, you need to understand that when Jesus Christ came to the advent in that first advent, it was related to God's love. He loved the world. Now God's love is uniquely generous. God's love is uniquely generous. Now, when you see there, it says that he gave his only son. Now, the older translations, if you have a King James Version, the version I used for many years, it, was, it says the only begotten son. Now, or other translations will say his one and only son. And in the English Standard Version, from which I use here, it says his only son. Now, some people have taken uh, uh, umbrage with that by saying that, hey, wait a minute here, no, that's not, uh, that's not correct because we are called children of God. But what he's saying here, when this word, this only son or only begotten, depending on the translation that you use, the idea here is his unique son. It's the idea that God gave his best, his unique, his beloved what is he saying here what jesus is saying here is he's saying that that god he gave the best gift that he could give and so what was happening here is we need to visualize it was like a tsunami of god's love flooded the earth on this first christmas day now it would have been admirable of god if he would have had three sons and he gave one of them to die for the sins of the world and keeping two for himself it would have been Admiral. if he had four or five sons. And he said, here you can have my firstborn, but I will keep the rest. But that is not what he did. This was his only son. This was... One of the reasons why I believe the Old Testament account of Abraham offering Isaac is so important because it foreshadows and it points to this moment right here, when Abraham, this wasn't a sadistic move on God's part by telling Abraham to offer his son. What he was doing is he was showing the world how difficult it would be to give a son who is a sinful son, who is a depraved son. It would be unthinkable for us to do that, it would be unthinkable for any of us to do this, to offer what one Of our children. But God, not only did He give His only Son, His one and only Son, and who He is and who He shares His nature with, He gave the perfect Son. There's nothing wrong with them. And so, as we think about God's love here, we need to understand that this is uniquely generous here. There is no other gift, there is no other gift that compares or even comes close to comparing to the love that was displayed here on this first Christmas day we all gave gifts or most of us probably gave gifts this last week and I gave some gifts to my wife because I wanted her to know that I love her we gave gifts to my daughter because we want her to know that we, uh, we love her and none of the gifts that we gave her required batteries because we love ourselves <laughs> so there, are, there were opportunities to be given, or, or, or for us to show love. And even if we had a Lexus with a bow on it that we gave to somebody, that does not compare to the love that God showed. My goal for this message this morning, just so you know, is just to plead with you to consider God's love. I plead with you to, to really Search your soul to see if you understand and if you're grasping God's love and if you've experienced God's love. If you're here today and, and and you've gone through the motions or you have not fully believed in Christ or you're still on the fence about this, let me tell you right now, I'm pleading with you to follow Christ. I'm pleading with you to believe in Jesus Christ. And if you are a child of God's and you have believed in Christ, my my goal for this message is for us to walk away in awe of God's love and how great it is it would have been easier for God to give the universe to give up the universe than to give his son it would have been easier for God to take all the angelic host and give that up and sacrifice that than Jesus Christ but that's not what he did He gave the best that he had. He gave this unique person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus was willing to do this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. No one here today has even come close to making this type of sacrifice. So God's love is uniquely generous. I I also want to point out that God's love is undeserved because it says, who did he love? He loved the world here and there's been a lot of different discussion about this world this word world the word is cosmos and it has at least seven different meanings that's used seven different ways in the new testament but what is going on here is he's saying he loved the world as we understand it he the the system that that is here he he loved his creation so much that he gave his son And so God's love is to be admired, as D.A. Carson said, not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but because the world is so bad. That is why we should be in awe of God's love. Because there's no one here that deserves God's love. There's no one here that is is listening to me either presently or on the internet that has any type of of self-worth that would demand that God loves them. And we need to understand it because I believe this is a fundamental misunderstanding we have. Because for the most part, a lot of times, we are people who think we are okay or we are worth something. And the Bible clearly teaches that our sin separates us from God. And so our sin demanded punishment. Our sin demanded condemnation, like this text says. But that's not what God did. is He gave his son so that we did not have to go through that condemnation. God's love is undeserved. Do you really believe that? Or, or do you believe that you deserve God's love? I, I fear that because of the way we act or we think about the truths of God's word, or because of the familiarity of God's word to us, I fear that it becomes rote or or it loses its sharpness and its meaning to us. But the fact of the matter is, there is nobody here. Myself. Included that deserves God's love. I think sometimes if we were to stand before God, we know the theological answers to say, we know what we should be saying here. But I wonder, but I wonder if we would argue with God. If, if, if we didn't accept Christ I, I, and, and, and we stand before Him, and, and I wonder if we would argue our worth before God. I think we would. Because that's how sinful we are. But understand here, what God is doing here is he's showing this, this intense love, this uniquely generous love, and he's invading the world with it because, and it's amazing, because it's undeserved. Thirdly, I'd like to point out about God's love is that it's universal. Again, I told you the, the, what he's talking about, the world here, and the state that he fallen mankind in its international aspect, men from every tribe and nation, not only Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Um, just so you know, in the text here, there, there is some debate about whether or not Jesus is speaking this or John is speaking this. Just, just, I hope that doesn't ruin the text for you that I point that out. But it, in the original scrolls, when it was written down, they didn't have the red letter edition, uh, just so you know. Um, so the red letter edition is, that was put in later on, Uh, There were no quotation marks either. I have them in my copy of the scriptures. And in my copy of the scriptures, the translators have said that jesus uh, they feel Jesus said these. Um, I lean more towards that way. But it could be John that's saying this as well as a commentary. Um, It doesn't really matter, I, I suppose. But whoever is saying this, whether Jesus is saying this or John is saying this, what he is saying here is that God loves not just the Jews, but God loves the Gentiles as well. Now you and I don't fully appreciate that 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 the feeling and the, the power that that would have had at this moment. But you got to understand the people that 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 would have been reading this or hearing this, they would have thought that God came to save or to 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 be their God exclusively, and the in, in even the thought or the notion of another tongue tribe or nation being included with that would have been repulsive to show you how far it was rabbinic literature said rabbinic teaching said this it said that if you see a gentile do not draw near to them not even for the purpose of sharing the torah with them okay not even to give them the good news of God. Don't even go near them. This was the reason why the Samaritan stories were so powerful. When Jesus made the Samaritans the heroes of the story, th- this is the reason why it was so earth-shattering. is because they didn't think that God was here for anyone else. But here, Jesus or John says that Jesus came, that God sent Jesus because he loved the world. John Calvin said the Heavenly Father loves the human race and wishes that they should not perish. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so what we need to understand here is that God's love is universal. He loves not just me and not just uh, you and not just the context that we're in, but He loves His creation. And so as we come to this fourth Sunday of Advent and we're looking at God's gift and Jesus Christ coming and we're thankful that Jesus Christ came, we need to understand that it's directly related to his love. We need to understand that this is something here that God is doing to show his love. Now you need to understand this as well in verse 16 when it says, for God so loved the world. Now a lot of people when they teach this text, they say God so loved the world. And really what that's saying is that this is the way that he loved the world. Or you could, you could write the word thusly. That might capture it a little bit better. For God thusly loved the world. Or in this way, God loved the world. And so what it's saying there is that he gave his son. So the emphasis here is on the gift. The emphasis is on what God has done because it proves his love for us. So how does God love affect your life? Since since we know that His gifts are motivated by His loving nature, we can accept everything from the hand of a loving God. Our Father will not give us anything that will harm us. We need to believe that because it's very difficult to believe that at times. When we go through trials, when we go through difficult circumstances, we need to understand that God is only giving us what, it's coming from a loving hand. It's not coming from someone who wants to toy with us or someone who wants to to uh, uh, to to stretch us just out of sadistic curiosity. God is not the little boy with a magnifying glass over the ant, seeing what is going to happen. That's not how God works. God does allow and God does bring pain into our lives, but it's always for the purpose of our good and His glory. And those two are not mutually exclusive. And so so here we have this understanding that if we meditate on God's love this morning, we need to understand that we can then appreciate everything that God is doing in us, in our lives. So if we are His children, then, we can accept everything from the loving hand of the Father. But if you're here without Christ, If you have not truly believed in Jesus Christ and put your faith in Christ, then you don't have that hope. Run the Christ. Run the Christ, I plead with you. It says, whoever believes in him, we'll get to that, what that means in just a minute here. Since we know that his gifts are undeserved, we must not add to his plan by attempting to let our works determine our justification. And so a lot of times in our lives, we tend to think that we need to keep our standing with God by how we live our lives. Now, I'm not downplaying good works. I'm not saying that they're not important. Of course, they're important, but they need to be motivated by a love for God, not a desire to be justified before God, because only Jesus Christ justifies us. And so that's what this text is teaching here, that it is God that motivated this. It's not man that motivated this. This whole salvation process isn't something that man came up with. This isn't started by man. This is started by the Father. And so the Father wants to show his love to us. And so our response is to respond in faith. And so we don't add anything to that. We don't get more of God's love by Uh, doing good things or or keeping a certain amount of sundays in attendance although that's important but that's not what keeps god's love god's love is on his volition and since we know that his gifts are intended for people from every tongue tribe and nation we must seek to share the gospel message with the world and so i'm thrilled that jessica is going to Haiti. And we need to be praying earnestly for her. And we need to be looking for opportunities to share the Gospel, not just in Haiti, and not just in remote parts of the earth, but in Verona, and in Madison, and in Fitchburg, and in Stoughton, and wherever we are located, we need to bring the good news to people. This is how God's love affects your life. If if you were suddenly to find a, a secret formula that would guarantee that all your debts would be eliminated, not just now, but for the rest of your life. And you could share this secret method. Would you not tell your friends and family about it? Would you not share that and say, hey, here's, here's how you can be out of debt. Here's, here's how you can get rid of debt. You don't have to ever worry about having debt again. You, if you just do this, take this gift of course you and I would, would give that gift. If, if we suddenly came up with a cure for cancer or, or, something, of, or something of that nature, and, and we say, if you take this pill, it, you, you will never have cancer again, of course we would share that. I would be, I would be on the next plane to Canada to give that to uh, my father-in-law's wife. I don't have that. But honestly, I have something better than both of them. Because both of those are are temporary. Both of those only affect this life. But what I have and what you have affects eternity. And so let me plead with you, embrace this gospel message. And don't just embrace it and be happy that you have it. Share it. Take it all over the world. Take it to your workplace. Take it to your family get-togethers. Take it to your neighbors. Take it all over. Over the world. Because this is God's plan. So God's gift is directly related to his love. And very quickly, let me also share that God's gift is directly related to his cosmic plan. And that continues this thought that I was just developing here. In verses 17 and 18, well, verses 16 and 17 and 18, we see really a summarization of God's plan. It's motivated by his love. And it's executed by his son, and we are the beneficiaries of it. And so we need to understand a a few theological truths and a few um, uh, main points here. First of all, we need to understand that man is condemned already. It says this in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. And it says in verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. And so we need to understand that condemnation and unbelief go together. And so my question to you is, do you believe in Jesus? My question to you is, do you trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Is this your only hope? Is this what you're clinging to? Or in the back of your mind, is it some of the things that you're doing or some of the decisions that you're making that are saying, well, yeah, I'm doing this too and and this is the reason why. We need to be at a place where we understand that it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter the works of righteousness that we do. We need to understand that all of that is nothing before God and that we just need to come to the cross with empty hands and go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do anything. Anything to save my soul, but I believe what the word says. I believe what the Bible says, and so I am trusting in you. If that is not you, the Bible says that you are condemned. The Bible says that all of us, when we are born, we are born condemned. And we need to believe in Jesus Christ. And so condemnation, judgment goes hand in hand with unbelief. And so if you don't believe in Christ, the only option is for is for you is condemnation. Then I plead with you that you believe in Christ and not be condemned. The second theological truth that we need to understand is that God gave His Son to meet mankind's need. And we've talked about this throughout the sermon this morning, that this is what He did. And so He gave His Son. He sent the Son not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And so Jesus Christ didn't come so that peoples their self, that, that their, their judgment would be sealed and so that they would face eternity in hell, that is not why he came. He came, according to this text of scripture, so that people would be saved. And when it says that he gave his son, you understand when did he say this? If Jesus is saying this or if John's saying this, it really doesn't matter. But particularly if Jesus is saying this, when did he say this? He said this after he was born, but he said it before his death. And both of those ideas are in this verse right here. That when God gave his son, it's the idea not just that he gave his son to live on the earth in the incarnation, in the advent, in this Christmas season. Because while that's important, if Jesus would have just been born and lived a life and then died and then, or, or still be living today, we would have no benefit from that. But it, when God gave his son in the, in the essence that it's talking about here is that he gave his son for death and as a sacrifice, then we have hope. And so God gave his son to meet mankind's need. This is the wonder of this verse. Great theologian, long time ago, he was answering questions in a classroom setting, a dialogue setting. And his name is Carl Barth. And someone asked him the question, they said, and, he, and the man was intensely uh, smart, an incredible intellect. He's, I mean, to read his volumes. Uh, is mind-numbing, okay? I, to, to read some of his stuff, and someone asked him. They so said, "What is the greatest truth that's ever passed through your mind?" And he sat and thought about it for a while. And then, very quietly, he just responded, "Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so." And he went back to, and then he started to talk about John three sixteen. This is a great theological truth because it meets everyone's needs. <laughs> There's no one here today that this doesn't apply to. There's no one here today that, that it, it can be said, well, that's good for you, Jeremy, but it's not good for me. That's wrong. This meat, this gift, it's part of his plan. From before the foundations of the earth, he knew that man would need a Savior, and so he sent, He gave His Son to meet our needs. This is an important theological truth. The last theological truth under this heading that I'd like to share with you is that man must respond in repentant faith in Jesus' work. You know, Isaiah said that it pleased the Father to bruise or to crush His Son in Isaiah 53.10. And the only, the only thing we need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. It says that in verse 16, whoever believes in him, whoever, that's, it's inclusive, whoever believes in him. Now, what does this mean? This little preposition here has uh, an important theological context. Most times it's translated into. If you're if you to study this word out throughout the New Testament, it's mostly, most of the time translated as into, because there is a difference there. Because the Bible, or James says, you believe in God, you do well. Even the devils believe and tremble. And so just simply acknowledging the existence of God is not enough. An illustration I heard goes this way, is that we could, if we were to go into a building and we were to see an elevator there, we would acknowledge its existence and we would say, yes, there's an elevator there. And then we could even see people get into the elevator and take them up to another floor and then it comes back down and it's empty. And so obviously they got off someplace. And so we can, we can believe that the, the elevator exists and we can believe that the elevator has some sort of power to transport people. But until I get into the elevator, until I make that very personal, that's not affecting me at all. And the point of this text here is that we need to believe into Jesus Christ. We need to put our faith and trust and our dependence in Jesus Christ. Now theologically we need to understand that when we do that God is motivating that and God is the one who's given us the ability to to do that. But we need to understand that in this text it's a universal call saying whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so earlier I said that condemnation and unbelief are connected. Here we see that eternal life and belief are connected. This is the only thing that is required. So there are really two options this morning. Believe or perish. I take no joy in, 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 in preaching the possibility of eternal condemnation. I've struggled with the doctrine of hell. Let me be very transparent with you. I went through a time a few years ago where I did not want to believe in the doctrine of hell. And I, I studied and I read. There's a theory out there called annihilation or annihilationism. And simply, it was so appealing to me. Simply put, those who die without God, without believing in Christ, they simply cease to exist. Their souls perish and they cease to exist. That is the punishment, that they have no fellowship with God for eternity. And those who die and believe in Christ, they go on to heaven, and they have eternal life. To me, that, that was perfect. That was like perfect. Because the ones who do die without believing, they don't get the fellowship, and so that's their hell. And so for me, who, or anyone else who believes in God, I get eternal life. That works great. But here's the problem. The Bible doesn't teach that. I I, I tried to get there. I don't know if you've ever done this before, where you try, you go to the Scriptures with a presupposition, and you try to make the Bible teach something. And if you're intellectually honest, you have to walk away and say, that's not what the Bible teaches. And so I struggle with this doctrine. I take no joy in in standing before people and saying, look, if you do not believe, you will perish. I say that with all sobriety. I say that with tears. I say that with, with great compassion. And so I plead with you this morning. Do you know Christ? I didn't ask, notice I did not ask how long you've come to church. The Bible says, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins by saying who's going to be in heaven, then he ends the sermon by saying who's not going to be in heaven. He says this. He says, many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, have we not done mighty works in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to say, depart from me, you who work iniquity, I never knew you. And that's because they were doing it not out of belief in God, not out of faith in God, not out of a love for God, but because they were trying to earn their way or because it was expected of them. And so I plead with you, particularly you you, you children and teenagers who are growing up in a Christian home, I plead with you, do you believe? Don't, don't, Don't think just because you have Christian parents that you have faith. You need to believe in Christ. And so... I didn't ask if, 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 uh, you know, what, what you've done with your life and the decisions you've made. I didn't ask how charitable you've been or how kind you've been. I've asked one simple question this morning. Is Do you believe? We have two choices here. Condemned or eternal life. Are you condemned? Do you know for certain that your sins will not be held against you on judgment day? I'm asking if you know for certain that when you stand before God, that he will say, innocent because of Christ. Therefore now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. If we simply go to God in repentant faith and say, God, there's, I, I have sinned against you and there's nothing I can do to save me, but you sent Jesus to die, I believe in that. Save me from my sins. That's it. You say, that sounds too easy. Yeah? You say, that sounds too good to be true. No, it's, it's, it's not too good to be true because the Bible says that um, uh, if, 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 we, uh, if we believe in Christ, it's by grace we are saved, through faith, and it's not of ourselves. Because if it's of ourselves, we have something to brag about or boast about. So what is stopping you this morning? Intellectual questions, hypocritical Christians, your pride? I urge you to run to Christ. Ask him to answer your questions and to give you faith. One of the greatest things, the verses I go back to in Luke chapter 17, is when the disciples looked at Jesus and they said, increase our faith. The disciples who walked with Jesus said, please increase our faith. I love the man who was having his son healed, and he runs and meets Jesus, and Jesus, he asked Jesus to heal his son, and so Jesus says, I will if you believe. And what does the guy say? I love this. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> I love that. If you're struggling with belief, can I just ask, ask God to give you faith? Just ask God to give you. The disciples did. This man did. I believe that's a request that God will answer. So ask God for faith. Believe in him. So the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Let us repent of our sins and follow Jesus. No one here today will be able to say, I did not know. I did not hear. And if you are sitting here today and you say, well, Jeremy, I do believe in God. I do believe in this. I do understand that I can't do anything to save me from my sins. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Then let me encourage you to do two things. One, go back to God and worship him for the gift that he has given you. Let it be fresh. Let it be be new to you again today. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Go back and, and, and remind yourself of how awesome it is that God would save you from your sins. And then secondly, tell someone. This week, go tell someone about this good news. Someone, Probably a name went through your mind that you know, someone who, who is, uh, 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 does not believe. Can I plead with you, just tell one person of, of this good news of Jesus Christ. That is our responsibility. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing our Uh, our final song today before the benediction and the song is the love of god i want us to meditate on the imagery and the, the powerful statement that is said in this in verse three it says this it says could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade so if we all were scribes and we all had all the ink and the ocean was made up of all ink and, and, and all the skies were, were paper to write on and, and, and we had no shortage of writing utensils. To write the love of God would drain the ocean dry of all the ink. and Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. So as we sing about that Let me encourage you to worship God by his great love. Let us pray.